0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com.
1: Falling in love was the last thing i had on my
2: mind. Holding you is a warmth that i thought i could never find. to Axe to Grind, the Hardcore Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, and my name is Patrick.
1: I'm Bob. And I'm Tom.
2: And our guest today, our esteemed guest.
1: (laughs) Hi, I'm Jeremy Bohm. Hey, Jeremy. Jeremy.
2: Hello. (laughs) Jeremy, who you may know from uh, such acts as? Uh, Touche amore,
0: hesitation wounds, the internet, I don't know. Yeah, that's
3: (laughs) good. That's, That's good. Jeremy, how you doing?
0: i'm good i'm good i'm I'm happy to be doing this uh i've I've enjoyed the podcast for a long time, and um I think I've been just just patiently waiting on the sidelines like is one of is one of these guys who who I think are my friends <laughs> gonna invite me on this thing one of these years
3: yo honestly it's uh it is long overdue it's our fault. we don't do guests a lot um mostly because up until this week extra grind milestone we crossed over a million streams but never had a scheduled weekly recording so uh, we are we are trying to have a scheduled weekly recording we'll see how that works
0: and congratulations on that milestone that's huge
1: yeah it's kind of crazy we don't understand but that's cool um yeah i mean pat was like you guys have to get your shit together you and bob <laughs> screwing around never available we got it you know then he came yep. up with a google calendar it it's,
2: so, this really, is sar- this is sarcasm jeremy
1: yeah <laughs> what, I, you know you're getting I'm hit with jeremy knew.
0: you know so, i'm curious though i i gotta ask though so uh one because you've been doing this podcast long before the pandemic obviously much longer before the pandemic yeah. did you when you looked at your your numbers if it's not too inside baseball to ask did you see the dip and then see it come back up or how did you how did you notice that because obviously people's uh Ability to listen changed a lot. People used to listen in their car on the way to work. Now people don't got yeah. jobs. Like, yeah. did you notice anything like that?
3: We we noticed it. We we did notice it. It yeah. wasn't tremendous for us because we also kind of like oddly picked up some new listeners around then. But we saw it on a like on a daily level, but not so much in a weekly or monthly level. And okay. it, it's a weird thing because here we'll get super inside baseball. When the pandemic started, one of the things that we collectively did was like, yo, this is awful. (laughs) Um, What are we going to do? How do we deal with this? So we ended up just putting out a bunch more content. And we've had the best months ever since the pandemic started. But some of it's because we just put up more content. And uh, it's weird because I think something people haven't talked about is... The pandemic, exactly what you said, most people, and people will know this inherently because of the way they listen to podcasts, but most people listen to podcasts on their commute Mm -hmm. uh, or in their – there's a lot of cubicle listeners or whatever when they find time or when they're by themselves doing endeavors and that changed. So um, I'd say across the board from what I understand, podcast numbers dipped like 10 to 15%.
0: Streaming in general did. I remember yeah. I have a uh, uh, Matt, my buddy Matt McGreevy, who's uh, one of the higher ups at Epitaph. He'll come over yep. for dinner every now and again, and um, and he was telling us like, yeah, as soon as as soon as everyone kind of lost their jobs and, and whatever, he's like, every, everyone across the board uh, saw. The, I think the only streaming that went up was Netflix and shit like yeah. that. You know, video but, streaming
3: went up because people found themselves with time to do it. Exactly, it's weird. It's, it's really, it's an odd thing. I feel like it has started to level out and recover, but, uh, but yeah, it's it's an odd thing.
0: Yeah. People have routines again. You know, it's like, it took a minute for everyone to sort of, to, to adjust. I I think we're all in that boat, you know, where, where you just have to sort of recalibrate how you, how you go about your day. But, you know, we're all unfortunately so used to it. I think at this point that, now you figure out like, oh, I can listen to podcasts here. I, yeah. I can stream music here or whatever.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, it, it it is it is odd getting back into routines. That said, why don't we do one of our favorite routines here, which is thanking our sponsors up front. Today, we are putting off our spending spree. It starts next week, everybody. I promise. But today, we are going to thank our sponsors, To Live A Lie Records, Closed Casket Activities, and run for cover records we're going to go spend a little bit of time with some old friends some close friends our buddies at death wish inc um death wish inc great label a lot of friendly faces uh i think we're we're hijacking their ad though (laughs) jeremy Uh, what are we hijacking their ad for
0: well, it's hijacking in a way. Uh, so I do a label called Secret Voice, which is a subsidiary of Deathwish. So what that means is uh, they allow me the opportunity to say, "Hey, I really like this band. I really believe in this band." And instead of me just giving them to you, Deathwish, can I just have my name on it, and yep. you still do all the work? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's 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 been really really great, and I've and I've been lucky enough to have been doing this label now since. I think I started it in twenty twelve, which with the band Single Mothers. Yeah, right. Yeah, which was a situation of um, I had there was a few bands that I had sent to Deathwish, and I said this band is these bands are great, you should work with them. Yeah, and um, some of those include Loma Prieta, Birds and Row, uh, bands like that. And it got to a point where you know I touche had done a a Canadian tour. Um, I think that. Uh, the people that have been in bands and, and can can relate to this. Where if you're on tour, uh, no disrespect to the local bands, but sometimes you don't catch the local band set. Sometimes you're out eating. Sometimes you're setting up the merch. Sometimes you're running around. Uh, we happened to play a show in uh, in Ontario. I f- I think it was in Hamilton or something. And um, band band was open. Band was playing, and it was Single Mothers, and it just completely knocked me on my on my ass. And I had a great conversation with the singer Drew. Gave me his demo, kept in contact. So basically, I reconnected with them, and then I was—I they gave me their newer demo, and I was so in love with it. And I brought it to Trey at Deathwish, and I said, "Trey, can I put this out? Like, how do you feel about me starting a label and just?" you know, like letting me be a part of this. Cause I, right. I, I, am so connected. I love this band so much. And I believe in this so much that I, I want to be a part of this. And he was like, uh, I'm going to have to talk to Jake. Give me a second. And then liter- <laughs> literally, literally walked in the room and was like, Hey Jake, how do you feel about Jeremy starting a label? And I just hear Jake very from the back, very far away. Just go, I don't give a shit. It's fine.
3: how all great ideas start i don't shit it's fine yeah yeah
0: so uh so that's where i started and uh and you know i've been doing it for for so long now but i haven't to be i mean to be completely transparent i haven't put out a ton of stuff like this the soul glow record that uh i announced this week is only number 17 and there's like five of those releases are like poetry books i did one with our with our friend pat kinlan here that was the last release so you know, I, I, don't, I haven't put any LPs out for bands. The only c- LP I've done is the Seisha collection, which was a discography for them. And that was huge for me because if, you're, if you know anything about Touche, you know that we're he- heavily influenced by a lot of that early Screamo stuff, the Seisha, mm-hmm. Seisha, Orchid, Page 99, all those sorts of bands. So getting to do that Seisha discography was like, you know, if you find, if you find yourself getting into the Screamo genre, Seisha is like the Metallica of the genre. You know, it's like... <laughs> It's like the entry point, you know. It's like okay. the, the top three are like Seisha, Page Ninety Nine, Orchid, which could be like the Metallica Megadeth, Death Slayer of, yeah. of
3: what do we call them? What so it's the uh, what's the, uh, the the metal version? It's the metal. Uh, it's like the it's Sleepy the-
1: Time Trio. No, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. What <laughs> is the
3: metal version? It's uh, for the, the big four. The big, the big, the big four. four. The big right. four. So that's what, right. So what? would be the yeah the, the fourth? Um, well, yeah.
0: What would be the fourth? Uh, I mean, I would, I would probably say you and I or Neil Perry, one uh, of those. Maybe that's
3: interesting. All right, the the Screamy Four episode, Jeremy. I we want to do it because we want to do that and then the next four. So, uh, so okay. we're going to book you again, reserve some time again with you to go oh, through I that. Love that. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, talk about Soul Glow because I think we all have some questions about Secret Voice too. Before we dive into the more randomness of this yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, so the so, uh, so Soul Glow record, uh, it's called, it's an EP. It's a 12-inch EP. Uh, it's It's got a screened B-side. Uh, we didn't go etched because I'm a vinyl nerd. Uh, I, Bob Tom, vinyl nerds? I know Tom. I know yeah, Pat. Didn't. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Pat doesn't own anything. Uh, yeah, I know. He has a backpack and he judges everybody
2: for, <laughs> for owning <laughs> yeah. anything. I'm the Marie Kondo of uh, Harkless. <laughs> it's a fact.
0: So. But, but uh, can we all just be honest with each other and say that, that etched records often bowl and like that, you know, like they come maybe a little bold and they never really quite look as cool as we think they're going to look like. I I don't know if I'm alone in that. What do you guys
2: agree with that? The the etched part, uh, not looking necessarily that cool. It's really hard to anticipate. Like you can't, uh, the normal person can't picture a negative to begin with, but then even if you try, it's black on black. So it's very, very difficult to like anything you see in your mind that looks cool does not guarantee that it'll look cool etched at all.
0: 100%. So like after dealing with that or like seeing it enough times, I was like, let's just screen it. So, so to people making records out there, just do a self screen B side. It's going to pop more. It's going to look way cooler. So uh, that's how this thing is going to look. EP is called songs to yeet at the sun. Uh, It's unbelievably sick. It's one of the most abrasive records that I've heard in a really long time. It's mixed by Jack Shirley, who's uh, a member of Kamadre, who's done Deaf Heaven and Gouge Away and all these great bands. Um, And it's also uh, got, just like square in the middle of it, a really, really, really good hip-hop song. So it's got just a lot of different wild energy in it, and um, I haven't been this excited about a band in a really long time, and I know it's easy for the guy from the label to be saying that, but I truly, truly believe in it, and I'm so excited to be putting it out.
3: No, I mean, we we can dive on that, but, like, I think it's a misnomer. I, I think that hearing someone who actually, like, is invested in the band and excited about it, like, you can tell the difference between someone who's like, yes, and here's here's our next slate of records, but, like we're in the fortunate position that we work with labels in this world who are all super passionate and we get to hear from them too. Like I, I got to say, like one of the coolest things about us doing this podcast is that we get to hear from people who really give a shit about what they're doing and what they're working on. And that's kind of across the board. So, so like if you think I'm talking about you, I am because that's like, it's, it's been real inspiring and Jeremy, you're certainly somebody who, who I feel like that. Um, so we're telling you, This isn't an ask. This is a tell. Um, We're telling you, please go to deathwishing.com. You're going to click on the secret voice or soul glow. I think it might even be in the new product section. Very easy to get to. You're going to click on soul glow songs to eat at the sun. Pick your variant. A couple are already sold out. So get there quick. Tom, you're going to enter a promo code. What is that promo code? Axe to grind. Patrick, what do you have to do with it? Spell it out. Get that discount. Same code. Discount on the other sites. Order their stuff. We love everybody. Jeremy. Yeah. Secret Voice has been around since 2012. You've only done about, I guess this is 17 records or 17 releases, but yeah. that includes poetry books, et cetera. What is it that makes you decide, hey, this is something I need to work on?
0: Um, I think, you know, I'm I'm lucky to be in a position to where, uh, traveling the country gives me the opportunity to meet and become friends with cool bands or be tour with cool bands, whatever. Like, I mean, the third release is a drug church, seven inch, you know? Um, and yeah, that no, was,
1: I mean, you can't win everything, but yeah. You know.
0: <laughs> and that was a situation where uh, Pat asked me to sing on that first no sleep seven inch. And I remember just being so blown away by how cool the band is. And this isn't me blowing smoke. I, you yeah. Know, yeah. I, th- I think the, the music, the music is just as cool in that band as, uh, as the lyrics and everything else. But like, Absolutely. um, I just was so excited about it. So, you know, I approached Pat, I was like, Hey, can I do a seven inch? And you know, he like, sure. And then the cover of it was a photo I took on my iPhone and sent to Pat. It's <laughs> like, sure. we <laughs> which just a deflated, uh, a deflated, a deflated, uh, one of those air dancers like for like an advertisement. Oh yeah. Thing. The, the, the
3: air. Yeah. The air, air dancer is the correct term. I think that's the scientific name for it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and I just drove past the gas station and one was like half deflated and it just looked like it was dead on the ground. <laughs> so I just sent it to Pat. I was like, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, that'll work. And then sent me, what was, I forget what the text actually says. It says something like your life is an air dancer deflated in Bakersfield.
2: <laughs> I yeah. we found that as bleak as it gets. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Thank you for doing that record, by the way, Uh, which shockingly, uh, is there still copies or no? uh it's on the it's on the
0: second press and i think there's about 200 i always have to i always have to hit up uh a member of your band because i know i can't i know i can't hit you up to be like hey can we get copies of that on your merch table um yeah, right so right think, right right i think i have to hit up nick kogan usually who's who's my dog
2: yo do yeah. it, it, i have no idea how many records drug church sold but if you like i went to the discogs recently and it's like yo that's a lot of pressings so like you should, <laughs> We should definitely be able to sell that shit if we just take all the copies. Is, is there 200 left? We'll just take them. Yeah, please. Yeah, there's that's also cool.
3: copies available to order, so uh, consider that because we don't know when when
1: you'll be taking them and putting them uh, on your merch. On a table. merch
2: table, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> and
1: Pat, uh, Your band is really big. I know you tend to forget that, but your band <laughs> is super popular.
2: I, I, I so I never ever think about that shit except when I see like, oh, that's a lot of pressings. That's that's ooh, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I was like, oh, doing the shit. math. Well, I so I the only time that I think about Spotify is uh, for this podcast. I, I for whatever reason I don't like, I don't enjoy Spotify. So I don't know why that is. Like, I you're going I through
3: a that? weird crisis, like a crisis with how you sh- listen to music.
2: Yeah, because no doubt.
3: Three weeks ago, you proclaimed like YouTube playlist only way. Last week, you're like, nah, YouTube too compressed. <laughs> now you're like Spotify, no way. I don't even
2: think about it. I mean, I don't. I've probably opened it like I three agree. times from last He, only,
1: week. he uses uh, Pono.
2: Yeah, I use my, uh, just whatever's left on my Zoom. The Zoom. I was <laughs> waiting for the Zoom reference. But uh, I, I will say uh, regarding when we're talking about uh, podcast and streaming numbers in general going down, uh, I've never been able to – I've never had a job really where I could work and listen to a podcast because I, I just lose focus. I can't do it. And uh, this week I had to do uh, the people that do actual programming in our listenership are going to think I'm an idiot. I don't know what to, like. I had to do something in a markup language. I don't, you know, I don't know what the fuck. Do, do, anyway. do, 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 do. Yeah, precisely. So I, I had to do some markup shit and it uses a part of your brain like Excel, I guess, where you could be <laughs> listening to anything, you know what I mean? And still do it. And I got to say, while I wouldn't want to make it my career, it was nice to be able to, Listen to something and do something that gets you paid. I'd never had that before, and it was cool. <laughs> it it oh, is,
3: right. it, you know, it is honestly, it's the um, like what is it? It's the pacifier of the bullshit job. Um, yeah, you know, oh for sure. Is being able to is being like honestly, like I, I have to say, like if you if you said Bob, sorry about this, but you have no responsibilities or commitment to family or anything else in your life. But I'm going to move you to Australia and you're going to mow lawns 12 hours a day, five days a week. But you can just listen to whatever you want. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in.
2: What's it pay? (laughs) I'm
3: in. in. (laughs) What's it pay? Yeah. Like you get you, as long as, yeah, you know what? But 12 hours a day, I'm just sleeping, I'm chilling. That's cool. Um, Do we have anything else to look forward to from Secret Voice in the upcoming? Like, do you want to spill any secrets or do you have anything in mind or not yet?
0: Uh, I ha- You know, like I rarely, you know, like, like I was saying, I rarely put things out. And the reason is, is because I, I mentioned the only LP I've ever done is the Seisha thing. The Seisha and their Plus, band yeah. has been broken up for fucking 20 years. So yeah. <laughs> um, I don't like to put out, I, I I would never feel good putting out a band's LP because that requires a level of attention and yeah. commitment and. And and I just know that I can't give that much to my to to the band. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm I'm constantly juggling touche and and all this other stuff. Sure. So I love doing EPs because it's like you're getting the band the attention that you want. You you're promoting the shit out of them, but you're also, you know, you're not ruining their life if it like doesn't <laughs> doesn't hit the way you know. Like I look at EPs as a great uh introduction to a band for people you know what i'm saying or it's a a great segue in that band's career you know what i'm saying like
3: yeah it's it's uh, a moment not a chapter
0: perfectly said like i think pat and i have even talked about that maybe before in our and throughout our friendship where it's like you can be as weird and experimental as you want on seven inches because no one's going to hold that shit against you you know Like it might not work or it might be weird, or you want to just maybe throw on a cover of a song you just happen to really like, like it could not be that great. And no one, and people are probably still going to check out your next LP. Yeah.
2: Yes. 100%. It's, It. it, nobody holds it against you and it's always somebody's favorite.
3: Underrated, underrated commentary here because Pat, you often rage against LPs. And I do think that idea, like Jeremy, what you're saying is so right. Is that like, note to the erstwhile label ear, like people trying to put out records, just know, like if you put out a full length for a band, like I'm not saying, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it's your responsibility, but like you do have to take it sort of more serious than, Hey, the record looks good. And here, here's the copies. Cool. You know?
2: Uh, So since we've started this podcast, we've watched two very hype bands totally kill themselves with lackluster lps that really i don't know if even a big label could have done a ton for them but it it's a fact that every party involved has got to be a hundred percent on an lp otherwise you somebody's doing it, somebody else a disservice for sure
0: sure. For sure yes absolutely and i think and i think that that can become a, a product of nervousness of doing that like if, if not everyone in the band is like so thrilled and excited about the lp you're about to put out just take more time like yeah. you you don't want to be like no there's four really good songs and the rest is filler it's like Ugh, it's, yeah no need it's for. not like no one's ever going to want to flip to side b you know <laughs> it's it's a it's a it's it's a tough thing i you know um i've had this conversation with 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 bands on on tour before and i remember uh we Uh, We've played with bands before, you know, opening tours or whatever, or or just festivals in general that I think are new, younger, great bands that uh, have I've actually heard bands say. And I know this has been a topic on here before, but like the now we're just going to put out a seven inch or two and probably just break up, start another band. (laughs) That shit's so weird to me. And I know that might make me sound dusty and old, but like there's so much hardcore and there's so many new bands and there's so many new bands starting. And I'm and I'm all for, you know, you want to start a band? fucking start a band do what you want but like don't expect me to get invested in it if you're not invested in it that's how i kind of feel so it's like harder for me to connect with a lot of uh, with a lot of bands as as i've continued to enjoy the genre just because i feel like it sometimes becomes audible that something is not taken too seriously or it's like feels throw away and that to me is is an issue and i don't know how you t- how, how you three feel about that
1: yeah, it feels like a waste, Like you said, you don't want to invest yourself into something that it's kind of like, I don't want to f- care more about this band than you do.
2: Yeah, totally. and and th- there's also like, there's a vibe that some people really love and it's what attracts them to hardcore and it's what repels me. I've gone on about it a lot. It's the, this is a phase. I'm going to have a good time during this phase sort of mm-hmm. thing. It's, I don't want to be the like bitter lifer because I'm not bitter I quite like what i got going on but like it's it is a big turnoff like look there's many good bands and there's many cool dudes who are having a good time playing music for the moment and god bless them but i never saw myself as a a dude who was gonna go like that this was just a a part of my like a, a section of my life I thought it was a part of my life. Does that make any sense? It's not, yeah. it's, it's,
1: it's it, long lasting it, it's, if it's a part and not a sec. Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, so
1: are you talking about like genre exercises and, or just kind of like band stuff in general?
2: See, I, I enjoy a genre exercise if it's like a cool, like, listen, I, I'm always like kind of clowning on Mark McCoy on this podcast because it's a bit, but I've got like a lot of respect for the fact that the dude yeah. just tried a lot of different things. You know what I mean? So I, and look what Ian just is doing right now uh Ian just put out that military gun sing- single. Yo, it's as good as as the original Justice Center stuff because it's him exploring different things that he's good at. And I yeah. love all that shit. Those bands don't got to go any further than they are right now. Well, but when I run into like like a dude who is just here for the beer, yo.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yo, here here's my take on that because you're right. Like like great questions here because it's like how do i feel about it i want to see creativity and and like we have foundations and building blocks and like yo at some point I, I always feel like yo i don't need another band that sounds like turning point and then there's a band like one step closer who are like yo our stated intention was like hey let's do a band that sounds like turning point but what they do with it creatively takes it to a different space even early on you know the band has a 12 inch ep that's it and that's not Turning point cosplay. So I like to see creativity, and then I also, you know, Pat, you've said this a lot, and I want to give you a lot of credit for this. You often are more interested in what that second LP sounds like,
2: right? Almost always, even if it's just, even if it's trash. I'm curious how you God, arrive there.
3: That's right, and that's <laughs> I, I share that same boat, and I bet all four of us share that same level in terms of the curiosity, like where is this all going to? Now, now we're all backtracked, too. Is that like genre exercise? I think can take place in different ways, and it's like it's the difference between someone saying we're writing two seven inches that are this style of hardcore, and we're playing this template, and we're just taking the bones from X, Y, and Z, and that's it. Or if it's like, hey, uh, I like this kind of music, and I want to do something like that. Such different ways to kind of navigate something like like quote unquote genre exercise. And uh, what
2: if, here's a question. What what if you finally found a disc word that rules? So now you feel like you have to do do
1: like another discharge ban? Yeah. I mean, I think you can go for it.
2: Okay. Yeah. Cuz I found I found a legitimately cool disc word that I did not know existed oh. and then I was like, "Oh, I got to I probably got to
1: write to that name now.
2: Yeah, I think I got to. I yeah.
1: have a question for Bob and for Jeremy as label owners. Sure. And Patrick though, too?
2: Yeah, I put hey, out Patrick. records. Thank you.
3: Sorry. <laughs> sorry Tom we're getting you, you you know what we're gonna try to do by 20 end of 2021 let's have Tom release a record and it could be a that's demo cool. could be a tape whatever you
1: yeah, have never actually done that I think you would have fun with it I think you actually would yeah. love it and be good uh, at I it. think I would I think it would be too addicting and I'd be <laughs> yeah. in trouble we, maybe we'll do it like hey here's the pool of money you can use for that that's it you know I think that would work better for me because I got school loans and um yeah yeah I'm not okay, trying to maybe get
3: maybe sales. you get to run Axe to Grind Records and we just have a, a an allotted budget, okay?
1: Or or maybe we just ask Jake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. be like, I don't give a shit. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tom, you have a label? I don't give a fuck. It's just, yeah. all right, fine. Um, your question, I'm sorry, you guys. All right, so all three of you guys, and I think I probably know the answer for Pat, and I'm not sure about Bob or Jeremy. Like, so running a label, do you? Are you always like proactively looking? It's probably different for Bob with like the internet and all that sort of stuff when, when he did Collapse or whatever. Sure. But like, are you proactively looking for bands, or do you only release something when it comes across your proverbial desk and knocks you on your ass that you're like, I need to put this out? It's exactly that. It's yeah.
0: it's like 100% that. Like, for instance, Gouge Away was right. a band that um, I was on tour with Touche. We were opening up for Circus Revive. This was like 2012 or something. And I met Christina and her sister Shauna uh, outside of the show. I think it was in North Carolina, and they, her uh, Christina's sister, had like a like kind of like a folk rock band uh, that was on tour. And Christina was just rolling rolling along, and we I, I was outside maybe making a call, whatever. We ended up talking and became pals. And I remember maybe via Facebook or something like that, Christina posted a demo from her new band, Gouge Away. And this is when they, before even that, Dies 12-inch came out.
1: Right, right, right. And I
0: was like, holy shit, she's in a band? This is sick. And then I just kind of kept paying attention. And um, then it just kind of like the Dies 12-inch came out. And I was like, this band is so fucking cool. And I always really, really liked Christina. Like, I just thought she was a cool person. Absolutely. So, so then it was like, oh, well this makes sense. So then I, I, uh, I bugged them if I could do the seven inch for them and, and it worked out and it was super cool. And it, that's kind of the way things have always done. Like I did a danger seven inch cause I've known those guys because they're from LA for yep. ever and ever, you know, they've been a band since like 2002 or some shit. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and uh I mean, yeah, it's like, I, I don't know if it's officially going to happen, but I, I feel like there's no, it's not going to be like a, it's not going to matter really, uh, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. Like, I might be doing a cassette, a cassette version, just because I want to be a part of it of a new spiritual cramp thing that's going to come out.
2: Because
1: oh, nice. cool. yeah.
0: that band is fucking awesome, and I and they excite yeah. me, you know. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I Bingham is probably a friend of the podcast. Uh, I know he's a friend of, of Pat's for sure, but like, you know, I catch up with him and he was like, "Yeah, we got this new 7 and she sent me the songs, and I was like, "I was like, who's putting this out?" And he's like, uh so and so," and I was like, "All right." Can I do the cassette? And he was like, "Shit, why not?" <laughs> so, <Nice. laughs> so it's you know, it's just it's I, it's me. I believe in that band. I love that band. And for me, it's like I just that's something I'd like to do. I mean, we'll see if it happens. But I don't feel bad talking about it because it just makes some, someone maybe listen to a Spiritual Cramp. You know, that's yeah, true. That's yeah, true. Um,
3: for me, Tom, it's uh yeah. It was it was never totally looking for something. It was usually. Uh, some of it was relationship. A lot of it was like, if I heard someone was like, oh shit, like it really is like impression based. I think uh, Mother of Mercy is a good example because I heard it, you know, a trip out on this because of the timeline, but I think I heard it. I knew Bob said book let down um, in 2005 in California and like, you know, it kind of stayed in touch, but he, he dropped this Mother of Mercy demo. I'm like, yo, this is awesome. And he just goes, yo, you should just put, yo, you should put it out. And I'm like, okay. And that was it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, there's other things where if you see a band live, especially, you know, um, it's Ben Mugray, who was from Orange County, LA IE, who I did a seven inch for live. I saw them. They were somebody I knew and I booked them on a show and I was like, Oh, they're interesting. I saw them live and they just were, awesome 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 and it's like i gotta put out a record for them and they ended up doing another record with lengua armada after me um so you know uh, it's it's usually getting an impression i was never totally seeking stuff other than like oh i the way you seek out new music and it's like wait nobody's putting a record out for this that's criminal someone has to someone has to do something about this and then you raise your own hand, you know? Sure.
0: Okay. Bob, do you, do you ever, when you, when you go to start working with a band, um, did you, do you find yourself going into it with longevity in mind? Like, Oh, I'm going to work with this band and I want to, I want to put out all their records. Or do you have a very like, Oh, I'll just do this one thing and it'll be cool.
3: Yeah, no. Um, it, it was different for different bands and it was sort of like, No, it was never totally longevity. It was also, it was always kind of like, especially when I was putting out records at the highest peak, um, I was doing it with a few different things. It was sort of just like, let me see if I can help them move along to the next step. And there were bands that I ended up doing like two seven inches and an LP for, you know, because I was, I I just ended up being the home and then I ended up doing stuff for their other projects, et cetera. But it was usually kind of like, what's best for the band. And I actually had a conversation with, uh, with a buddy of mine, Joe Steinhardt, who does Don Giovanni records, very different kind of label than, than mm-hmm. what I've done. But he, he had the same kind of opinion of like, yo, you, you kind of just want what's best for the band, you know? And sometimes that's working with you. And like, at no point to be very honest, did I feel like I was going to be able to be like next level. Let me get, everything right for this, even on the full that I did. And some of the full I did ended up doing pretty well, but, uh, but it was like, almost like, wow, how'd that work out? Okay, cool.
0: You know? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that, what about totally you? I mean, yeah, I, I never go into it with longevity. I'm, I'm right. going into it. Uh, and I swear to God, I'm not trying to sound like I'm fucking a lifesaver or savior complex or anything like that. Like, I'm just, I, I'm, doing this purely out of excitement for the band. And then my goal is to do whatever I can to move them to the next thing, you know? So that's, that's how I've kind of operated it. You know, like as soon as the, the gouge away thing, like I remember we, we took gouge away on tour a few times, but when we played Philly at the, at the church, uh, Trey came out and I was like, Trey, watch them. (laughs) Like, like watch this (laughs) set. And then Deathwish ended up putting out the LP, you know, it was just like, I know I don't have the capability to do their next LP properly with the amount of, you know, like publicity and whatever, all those market marketing and all that stuff. Like, I don't yeah. have it. You know, I'm just I'm just a dude with a fucking iPhone. So I just I I care and I'm just trying to push it to the next thing. And and Deathwish, you know, killed it. They did a great
2: job.
3: That's absolutely right. Patrick, what about you? When you hear a band, it's it's
1: almost never seeking it out. Is that right?
2: yeah never seeking it out i uh i
1: You're not you, on like like bandcamp just like scrolling like the hardcore or like Moshcore uh hashtag or anything
2: no but i i would love to to be honest i i uh it's one of those tough things that i'm sure a lot of our listeners relate to where i should not spend a lot of money yep i So the the career that I'm that I work in, there's no um, there's no pension. And
3: I was hoping you were gonna be like, yo, there's no cap. There's no cap on
2: this. (laughs) Well, it's like for example, this year, uh, particularly if comics come back, and then if music comes back, if all if those two things come back, in addition to my regular income, I would have a dope income. No one will be able to talk to you anymore. And yeah. Oh no, please uh, be a tall dick the face.
3: Big Papa K is, uh, <laughs> is just, uh, renting yachts for the weekend.
2: <laughs> so, but the problem is that like, unless I want to, uh, you know, it's the frozen on a park bench thing that I'm always talking about. Like oh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, that's not how you want to go out. So I, I personally would love to, uh, th- I mean, there's also this other problem that I love touring, which is not, Necessary. Or I love being in bands. I should say touring is just part of it. But I. But I. You know, it's that tough thing where it's like, if I had a straight job, I might be putting out records a lot. <laughs> you know what oh. I mean? But as as it is, I work a job that's like, you know, uh, both both my jobs are freelance essentially. So uh, it's really hard to say if I'll have reliable money. So if if I can spend like four grand a year on other people's music, that's totally cool. Could I spend twenty five? Yeah. No. No.
1: <laughs> I could do it, but you can't. Yes. Yeah,
2: exactly. Like yeah,
1: I it just
2: I could if I wanted to dodge taxes, get in trouble, die on a park bench, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the whole thing. Uh but it, it uh so do I think about it? I think about it a lot actually. I I'd love to put out other people's records. There's a couple release formats and I don't mean um I don't mean mediums. I, I mean like t- ways to release uh uh vinyl that I'd really love to experiment with. I'd, I'd love to give them a shot to see if there's, if they're viable uh, l- w- ways to sell through a pressing. And th- there's yeah. a lot of things I'd, I'd love to try, but it, it's, uh, it, as Jeremy said, it's really hard when you're playing with people's hard work, really hard. Uh, you you kind of can't experiment too much on other people's hard work. Right. We're, we're already experiment,
1: in, with your own shit,
2: right? We're already in a niche space uh, I'm going to be experimenting actually with my own shit uh, pretty soon. I guess I'll probably announce it on the podcast, maybe. Uh,
3: and <laughs> well, Bob will have to remind you to announce.
2: It yeah, that's away. a fact. Oh yeah, and we have
3: got a project coming up too. I got We got to do that, PK.
2: So, uh, but but uh, I, I I'm going to experiment with um, kind of uh, incentivizing collectors outside of just von- whatever. I've got like a lot of thoughts on these things, but uh, it, it's it's tough when you're when you're talking to, you know
3: is it tough when you spend too freely but you hate work yeah <laughs> um jeremy you also have some other projects going on let's let's do the let's do the full
0: catch-up what's up with touche uh before we do that i just oh. was thinking about before we do that uh, i'm happy to jump this will take two two Please quick seconds it. it's for you but it's for you bob oh okay sure anytime what happened to the little rascals
3: oh oh they're still <laughs> around um the singer Joey Adirante, shout out to Joey Adirante, everybody. Um, I saw um, two weeks ago um, on a rooftop in Asbury Park for the, I don't know what year this is, of the Shore-style fantasy football league. Um, his roster's looking okay. He spent a lot for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. We were kind of in a bidding war, but I think it's strong. Uh, the rest of his team is good. We've we've got a matchup this weekend. I'm nervous but um, I have some waiver wire pickups. Uh, the rest of the Little Rascals, um, they recorded a second 7 inch after their debut EP, Wig Out at Aces, that was not great. Um, okay. That I think is, I actually think is lost to the sands of time. Like, no one, nobody knows where the recording is or if anyone even has it. It's from like 2005. Five or six maybe maybe yeah probably not later than 2005 and it was good but not great and uh it was kind of before the cassette boom and we we're like do we do this as another seven inch and i'm like guys i don't think this is putting your best foot forward um so we held it's off a on conversa-
0: it. It's a tough conversation to have, isn't it?
3: Uh, especially with sixteen-year-olds. But they were yeah. they were pretty easy about it because they put out a seven-inch when they were fourteen. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah,
0: there. It's funny. It's like uh, you know, I feel like it. I mean, Title Fight was pretty young when they when they yes, obviously they started 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 popping up. And I was like, the Little Rascals kind of predated yeah, uh, Title yeah, Fight. They did. As, as, as the young, the young band. Like they were young. And I remember that was kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, like the gimmick of the seven inch, where it's like, yeah. these are children putting this out. And I remember right, well, I bought it yeah, based on that.
3: And it well, because it was just like, yo, there were su I mean, Tom and Pat, you probably don't know, or maybe you know a little bit, but like these were kids from Brick who were literally in middle school who had a hardcore band who was yep. competent enough. You know what I mean? Um right, right. And like the photos from the seven inch are from them playing like Backyard parties, uh, because that's what they did. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, they they were they were doing shows in backyards, like just with like them and like their friends, their other friends, bands, and stuff. Um, But uh, so let's see what happened. The guitar player, I I don't uh, Eric, um, and his brother. Well, Zach had a brother named Eric. Zach still goes to shows sometimes. Um, Asa... Not only still goes to shows, but he was in the band Blind Justice. Who, did oh wow, a LPs. Yeah, he he yeah. he was in that band from the start. He started that band uh, cool. when he grew up. Um, the The fun fact about Asa is that he his older cousin uh, was one of the first guys I got into punk and hardcore with uh, Blaze, and he was the singer of a band called Blind Society, who was a spiky punk band. Okay, uh, who did extensive touring and i know there's at least two people listening to this podcast who are just exploding hearing about blind society but uh (laughs) yeah those dudes were awesome all still kind of sort of around but uh joey i still i still see once or twice a year um i'm not sure if i'm going to do his his weekly football picks pool but uh i'll i'll let everyone know
0: I was I was just imagining like uh, I, I forget which movie ending it might be both whether it's like Stand by Me or The Sandlot where it like goes through each one of them and like what their oh, life yeah. is like now <laughs> it's like,
1: right, it's like, like oh a frame with like with with uh, stuff on the bottom like yeah oh, now a blah blah, blah. yeah yeah, yeah you it, should do that um, it yeah,
0: went it, on to starting a, uh, a multi million dollar corporation and you know <laughs> made well in stocks and, no you
3: know what the best thing I can say is that all those kids are like happy and energetic and kind of doing their own thing from what i know and like it's pretty cool um and and like their whole crew like there's still a few dudes from their their group of friends who i talk to and see regularly so it's uh it's pretty cool good good group of guys another fun fact about that seven inch is the cover art was drawn by the singer of the band street trash
0: from l.a oh interesting i mean the everything about that whole presentation um I'm now going to talk like I'm running this podcast. Listeners, Please. go check out that seven inch. It's <laughs> it's pretty interesting because it's ch- it's clearly children, and the presentation looks like it's made by kids. So it's it's cool. It was intentional. Um, yeah,
3: and, uh, yeah. So it is it is really fun. Um, yeah. You
0: put yeah,
3: Yeah, yeah. Collapse Records, it. of course. Oh, who, who else is it. putting out the little rascal seven inch? Come
0: on. Yeah, I feel like that came out around the same time you did the Mind Eraser.
3: Record. Uh yeah it is it is yeah. 2004 it was back to back. right yes it is good memory yeah. wow yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right when I first started putting out a bunch of records so yep um, yep I'm yep. looking at this it is yeah 2004 wow somebody on Discogs really likes this record so if you don't feel like buying it you can uh, look at it on Discogs the labels are a direct ripoff of um, I believe the Discord labels because I did this weird <laughs> side label thing. Um, yeah, and if you'd like to buy a copy, there's twelve for sale from a dollar ninety nine up. I think it's worth oh, but that's in Portugal. Let's see from the U S. Yeah, you can get it for like seven dollars with shipping from this person on uh, Discogs. Worth it. Um, hard transition. Tell us about Too Shy. <laughs>
0: Sorry, that's my fault. I was just I just oh, I love it. I
3: mean, if you will Jeremy, you might need to come on for the Collapse Records uh episode. We can sure. get through all these records.
0: Sure. <laughs> um okay, so Touche, uh, our record comes out in less than a month, which is really, really exciting. It comes out uh, October 9th. It's called Lament. And it's uh Yeah, it's it was produced by Ross Robinson. Um, the man wow. who did uh everything from the first corn record to set so first and Korn, first and second corn records. He did the first Limp Bizkit record. He did Roots from Sepultura. He did uh first two Slipknot records. And then in the 2000s, he sort of shifted and did uh, those first two Glassjaw records. And then he did At the Drive-In, Relationship really of Command did Blood Brothers, Burn Piano Island up until in the mid 2000s. Then he did a Cure record. He did the self-titled Cure record, which I actually really, really like. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it's and uh, I was there for all of those. Like I I I've been talking about this kind of kind of a lot recently, and I and I had a cool conversation with Ross even about it. Where um, I was such a big Nirvana kid. Nirvana like was every absolutely everything to me. I was born in '83, so he he uh, Kurt Kurt passed in '94. So you know I'm 11 years old, and after and he died within days of my birthday, and I remember just feeling like. I just lost music. You know, it was like super melodramatic 11 year old music's done for me. (laughs) And, and and then it was like months later, all of a sudden on a music video channel, I saw the corn video for blind and that introduced me to aggressive music and I bought the cassette. And so like, and then they had a VHS that had an interview with Ross Robinson. So in 94, I remember seeing this interview with Ross Robinson and being like, well, this guy is, really really crazy and kind of interesting you know uh like the things he said in it were just really bizarre and um and he became sort of a figure in my life i then you know like pre-internet would buy anything that he would put out or re- work on just because he was attached to it so like up through there and then i find hardcore and then i you know i i like lash on and at drive and all these records so like i'm there for all of those up into the cure record so like I got to tell him like you were a part of my musical journey of like aggressive music to like punk and indie and all this sort of stuff. And then ended up doing a record with them, which was just very, very, very surreal, you know?
2: So, uh, Jeremy, some of our listeners, as you might imagine, are young. Uh, and since the death of the liner notes, uh, following producers is not really a thing in guitar music anymore. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, But you know hardcore has a couple you know um certainly kurt uh and uh it, it, you know will killingsworth uh if you're into a certain sound, but it is I, hearing you talk about it, even though it's not a style of music that resonated with me particularly as a kid, yeah uh, made me really melancholy <laughs> for, for like it made me wistful <laughs> for for uh you know being interested like there was people that were Albini heads, one hundred percent. Um, like it, it, and that, that's just over to a large degree.
1: And oh, you got like superstar, like producers,
2: not, not superstar producers necessarily, but like the ones that you follow, like they're, they don't necessarily got to be the biggest Robinson's obviously big as fuck, but like I'm saying, like, like Kurt Ballou is, is not, he's not, he's not a superstar, but certainly there are people in our world who bought every record he ever Engineered, you know, or at absolutely. least checked
0: out and yeah. and uh, and definitely when Kurt got attached to a project that you go, whoa, like Kurt, for instance, did the second to or the last Joyce Manor record.
2: That's yeah. interesting
0: to me. Oh, you know,
2: absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Um,
2: I, I miss I, that.
0: Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like when it comes to this kind of thing, the only other producer that comes to mind would be like Rick Rubin, where you're like, oh, mm-hmm. like if Rick, like that's a name that can be attached to. Uh, larger scale acts, you know, like they obviously did Slayer, but he also did Beastie Boys and Danzig and and all that, and System of a Down and and all that sort of stuff.
2: uh, Oh, hold on. I'm going to interrupt and say that I'm confident that uh, I know the people that work for you and I don't think they would ever suggest these things, but there are people who might have, there's your proximity to Los Angeles. There's a couple pretty corny producers who touch a lot of people's records, even adjacent to what we do right mm-hmm. now. And, uh, obviously by the way I'm talking about them, they don't work for me, but I think they might be the thing they might be remembered in a few years. Cause I, like when I was talking about people not following the people, not following, uh, producers anymore, there's, there's like two dudes that straight up get suggested to every aggressive band, <laughs> like every, every aggressive band because they write hits. They're like dudes that'll come in and like add big choruses to your shit and m- 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 add. Okay. So everybody, this is a hardcore podcast. This isn't a thing that's going to come up terribly often, but uh, <laughs> radio is still massive. We just don't know it. Oh, uh, oh yeah. And, and if you can land as a heavy band in the, uh, say, Active rock market. Uh, That's big. You, ba- you. Yeah, you've basically lined up a career for yourself, and it. it there, so there are people, there are bands that are listening to this actually, who have taken a shot with somewhat corny producers, uh, who have delivered real hits for some people, and now have watered down their shit a little bit. But wh- whatever. It's it's just a it's a whole world that runs adjacent to hardcore because it's aggressive music, but not not like massive stadium metal and uh th- this is just to me like this uh liminal space between uncanny valley hardcore and actual uh arenas and then the basement it's it's this weird thing that there's some crossover to
0: yeah for for sure and and uh it's funny i you i went into the raw situation with with so many like expect like not even expectations but just like i was st- straight up i was stressed <laughs>
1: like, like
0: I, uh tom i i mean i don't know i don't know the man has folklore is what yeah. i'm saying
1: oh, of course yeah for sure he's, and, like, he's he's known for being kind of like difficult right on vocalists particularly
0: yeah like uh it would be if you were to look at a lot of the things that happened with a lot of his records it's like It's like, you would like, like, like he's going to either get the drummer kicked out or replaced (laughs) and he's going to make the singer cry. Those are the things that are going to happen, you know? And, and so like when we were figuring out if we were going to do this, Elliot, my drummer, he's like, he's like, yeah, I'll probably get choked
1: out, but it'll be cool. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Amen to play for us or something, but right. Yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. You just really (laughs) brought it there, Tom. Casey chaos. Um, So so uh but let me uh, you know this isn't me this isn't me being his pr guy I'll, i'll i can say from absolute from the the core of my being that um he is the most passionate in a great positive way person that i've ever dealt with like he's so intense to be around because he's never not on a 10 like he's so enthusiastic and he's everyone in the room's biggest fan and he's never negative. He And anytime you feel like you might be stumped on something, like you're not quite sure, he'll give you a hundred different reasons why it might be cool. And then he'll also say, but it's your band. So I believe you, whatever you think the right thing to do is kind of a thing.
1: Right. He's not overbearing.
0: Not at all. He's just very excited. And, but he's also very, very, like, he needs everybody in the room to be fucking committed to the situation and invested in the way that I think for a lot of bands would be uh, too much. And I think if this was our first LP or maybe even second LP, if we would had them the first one with a friend like a lot of us do, um, I don't know that I would have been able to handle it. But I think because... I was sort of so prepped for it. And also just, we did one song as a trial run with him last year and it, it didn't go great. We actually had a pretty, he and I had a pretty contentious time together. And I was really worried that, that I uh, upset him and I didn't play ball and all this sort of stuff. But then when I reflected on it, it was like, no, I was just so, it was so much a level of fear in me that I I just pushed back really hard and I think so it was the combination of my fear of him and the situation and then his not knowing who we are never doing what he did which was hey can one band come in and do one song with you that's fucking unheard of with him but he was just right. feeling grace you know gracious uh, yeah. so it worked out but like for instance like he stands in the vocal booth with you less than a foot from your face and <laughs> Everybody at
2: home, that's not a musician. Oh, wow. that's weird. Yeah. That's insane.
0: It's 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 really really crazy. So the
2: entire,
1: the entire time, the entire time. Wow, wow. wow. And
0: it, but will put here uh, if I'm not boring you guys, I can tell you the the run Please. of this is this interesting. Is this okay? Super okay. interesting. Okay. So, um, and I don't feel bad talking about it because this isn't this isn't like throwing him under the bus because I as I said I fucking love this man and and this record is it's my favorite record. And that's not unique for the singer of a band to say as he's promoting a new record. It's my favorite record. I don't think I'll ever love a record as much as this one. Wow. So um, he, uh, so going into this, as I mentioned, I was super stressed out. Like we were trying to figure out who we wanted to have do this record. We did our previous two with a, a producer named Brad Wood, who's incredible, love him to death. But um, we just wanted to, he, he, it got to a point where Brad felt like a member of the band. You know, like I, we needed someone outside of that box, right? So we went hunting and our manager also happened to manage at the drive-in from start to finish up until after the, you know, like he stopped after the reunion, but so he was there for the Ross record and, you know, talking to him, he's, he was like, I I don't know if you, how you feel about this, but what do you think about Ross Robinson? And I was like, I knew this would one day come up (laughs) and I'm interested and I'm terrified. Um, so you know, we got the opportunity to to do this one song with him. And I approached some friends that have had the opportunity to work with him. Um, Cancer Bats did a record with him. Um, They had just done uh, the band dead cross, which is Justin Pearson from the locust. He's in that band. Um, Justin's a friend. So I pointed to them and they basically were like, here's in different ways. They told me what to expect. And it was completely dead on, which is if you're the singer in the band, he's uh okay for for people who play in bands and and whatever um you know that when you go to track something you do a demo you do whatever it's always the drums are recorded first with like probably a, a scratch guitar that's it you're just playing to the guitar he has everybody everybody is playing i have to sing the song every single time just to get the drums so i'm singing these songs like 60 times 70 times just to get the drums and before we do that I go in the room with him and he's in the live room with us. So he's standing there with us the whole time. So everybody's in this tiny room. I'm just outside in the little vocal booth, but he brings me in and he wants me to read the lyrics to everybody and go line by line and explain what every single line is about. And he's going to ask a question and a follow up question and then also maybe even ask a member in the band how that line makes them feel. So it's really, really, really intense. So <laughs> once you know, the, everybody's kind of dialed in and we have this long, we might talk for an hour about the whole thing. And then he'd be like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then we start playing and he'll just like stop in the middle of a take and like ask somebody in the band some crazy question. I remember he asked, he asked Elliot, like, what color do you see right now? And he was like, I don't know, chartreuse. <laughs>
3: so, <laughs> <laughs> great, great color right off the top. Yeah. It was
0: the funniest <laughs> shit ever. Um, But like, you know, um, and also the whole time, you know, I mentioned how he is of drummers. He made Elliot really, really, really work in in a in a way that we I've always I think Elliot's one of one of the he's the coolest drummer I've ever played with. He's a he's an absolute beast. He's fucking awesome. And I'm so, so impressed with how he was able to keep up because I'm telling you, like we would be 30 seconds or 20 seconds in a song and he would just like have a stop and he'd be like explaining a specific drum beat to him. He'd be like, no, 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 do, do this symbol here. Uh, Tom roll here and, uh, do, 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 do on the, on the kick drum. Okay, go. And be like, okay. And we play and he kept up with them and he was just like, oh, right wow. there with them. Just
2: Jeremy, Jeremy, hold the thought. I'm just going to yeah. uh, spike this with notes for people at home. Uh, <clears throat> if you are one of our listeners that does not like Jeremy's band, uh, that's okay. I don't think he's offended. Nope. Uh, they're, their drummer. Elliot is one of the most talented hardcore drummers that is not usually playing hardcore. He is exceptionally good at keeping keep, keeping a fast beat for a prolonged <laughs> amount of time. He is really good hardcore drummer, drummer. usually not playing hardcore.
3: Well, well and and like just again to reiterate for people who've never been in a studio Hearing someone say, okay, you're going to do this, 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 this to a drummer. I, <laughs> that, I mean, that's the- as weird as the, I'm standing yeah. a foot
1: away from you in the sound booth.
3: You know, right. I mean,
1: true. Recorded. Usually when you record vocals or your friends are in another room with a glass, a glass yes. window, they can watch you and they're laughing at you.
0: Oh, right. Also true. Yeah. Or that's just not true. there.
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah, not giving a fuck or being like the the first line you let out that you you sound like a wounded duck they (laughs) all laugh at you yep yeah yeah never mind reading the lyrics to everyone and being like here's what i thought i i I, yeah now you know why Jonathan davis cried
0: yeah no straight up so uh so you know um also, I I need to say, we went into this record, you know, and like we all, like anyone w- should, like we went into it with the songs written, you know, they were like 95% done. We They were open to suggestion, but we knew that Ross was going to rearrange things or whatever. And so when we went in, this is just for that first song, you know, whatever we, he was putting Elliot through the ringer and, and then I, then, you know, came time to do, to do, uh, well, even when he was doing guitars and stuff like that, like, you know, Nick, um, who you know Patrick. i know patrick knows nick pretty well uh he's he's a very put together person he's a very um uh he's he's not the guy who's the he's not running around being the life of the party he's a very serious person and he's sitting down and he's and he's got his pedals in front of him and he's working really hard and he's like tracking and at one point (laughs) ross just starts like like Shoving into him and like pushing, like hitting him with a pen and being like, What are you doing? Fuck up, have fun. Like you're you what are you like yeah. like just trying to get him out of his zone and like r- r- you know, riled up. I wasn't there for this, but this is one of my favorite things. Is Clayton was tracking other guitar players playing guitar? And and Ross just like grabs the headstock and gets in his face and says, Tell me a secret right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh <laughs> wow. just it's fucking insane um but so yeah, i gotta John say Martin though to you. yeah i got i gotta say like those were all really extreme circumstances but like once we got in the studio with him to full-on do the record he was way more dialed back i feel like i feel like a part of him whether he maybe admit to it or not was like i gotta ham it up i got two days with these guys i gotta make an impression or something wow.
1: i don't know he but, was, like he was, guys? was he trying to like break you and then since you guys made it through, it was like boot camp. May, I,
0: you know, I don't, because the thing is, like, he, you know, I, I don't want to speak for the man, but I, I'm pretty sure he, he wanted to do the record. So he was definitely, I, I don't think it was insincere by any means, but, but I do think that maybe there was a little bit of the element of like, if these guys are going to do a record with me, I have to know that they're willing to play ball, you know, yeah. which I can get, which I can understand. So then when it came time for me to do vocals, I was, you know, really stressed out and he's standing a foot away from me. And then, um, <laughs> what really happened was you know he says he was like I I explained to him what this song called Deflector and it ended up on the record it's on the record too and he's you know when we're in the room I I say to him you know I'm like Ross I know we don't know each other but um, just so you know our entire last album is about my mom passing and this record is not about that this is me moving on from that this is me my life since that record and that's pretty much a big theme of the album it's about how my life is since recording that record in terms of how the audience has reacted to me and all these different things. And also the appreciation for the people in my life that have been there for me and were there for me through all that stuff. It's a lot, it tackles a lot of that stuff. So I'm explaining that to him. And I say, I could write five more records about the loss of my mom, but I don't want to do that. And I know our listeners don't want that. <laughs> so I, this is me moving on. And he was like, I understand. I was like, because I can't write anymore about it. He's like, I understand. And then we get in the vocal booth, and the first thing out of his mouth is, so where's your mom right now? Oh, <laughs> Jesus, dog. And I was like, and that's when I was like, we're not going to do this. And <laughs> and uh, and we, it, we, no joke, we, we stood in that vocal booth together for two hours, and I think I did three takes in that two hours. Holy fuck. Because the rest of the time, we were just going back and forth. Wow. And, and it was an important conversation to have. And what was really gnarly is there's a, there's a, um, there's an engineer in the mixing room with a hot mic, just listening to us talk. And it's, and also our managers in there and our bass player, Tyler is in there. So everyone's hearing our conversation. And, you know, that was a little hard too. Cause I'm like, I, we're doing this for an audience. You know what I'm saying? Like we're, we're yeah. hashing it out. And, um, you know, it, it, there was a point when he was like, you know, he, he told me, he's like, I think you're projecting onto me. And like, I was like, I was like, no, I'm just, blah. you know, it was like really, and he's like, do you want to cuss me out? Like, talk shit to me, say whatever you want to me. I don't give a fuck. And i like put my hand on his shoulder and I'm like, Ross, I respect you. I, it's not that like, I, I'm, I, I just need you to trust that I believe everything that I'm saying. Like, you know, it got, yeah. it, it got really, really heated and really intense, but never like in like an insulting way, just in a really, really high peak emotion sort of way. Right. So also in the back of my mind, I'm stressing out thinking, this guy fucking hates me. Like this guy is, is upset that I'm not doing what he wants me to do, you know, cause I'm uncomfortable and whatever. And there's even a line in the song where I say, I'm not comfortable. I rarely am. And he was like, why are you smiling when you're talking, when I'm, when you're talking to me? And I pointed to the lyric sheet. I'm like, that's fucking why. And yeah. um, so then I do a take. And in the middle of that take, he just hugs me from the back and starts swinging me around. And I'm like, <laughs> this man's a lunatic. I love him. So, uh, I left that recording session just, you know, like, I don't know, man. And Bla- uh, our manager's name is Blaze. He has the most manager name of all time. His name is Blaze James. <laughs> Blaze James calls me. And, and he's like, he's like, how'd you feel about yesterday? I'm like, how the fuck do you think I felt? You heard it. <laughs> and, and he was like, he's like, honestly, I think it was a very healthy conversation as much as it was uncomfortable. He was like, I think you both now sort of understand each other and understand sort of the line and that you're very serious. Cause I, you know, I said to him to defend myself, I was like, I need you to understand that, that these words are everything to me that like, I spend a lot of time writing and I don't just, I'm not just writing whatever. Cause I had heard a story from uh, one of the other bands that he worked with where someone was like reading out the lyrics and Ross asks, well, what does that, what did that mean? And the guy goes, uh, it doesn't really mean that much, honestly. I just wrote it because it rhymed. Yeah. And Ross said, cool, rewrite it. So cool. <laughs> that's, that's like, you know, so like, I you know, I had that story in the back of my head. So I'm like, I need you to know that I fucking I mean every single thing that I'm saying. And, and so I think there was just that sort of learning. And so we leave that, we get a mix of the song, and it turned out so, so good, like so much better. And I was like, we have to do this record with him. But I was, you know, nervous that he maybe didn't like me or something, you know, childish like that. And uh, Justin Pearson came out to see us in San Diego. A couple months later, Dead Cross had gone back in the studio and he just happens to stay out of nowhere. He's like, dude, fucking Ross loves you. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, I thought he would. have." He's like, no, he respects you so much and whatever. And I was really like taken back by it. So I went and visited them in the studio like a week later because Dead Cross is still in there. And um, had just such a wonderful, like, warm conversation. And so we're like, we got to do it. We have to do this. So then we went in the studio with him a few months later with the record, you know, fully written and... There we went. That was a long story. I'm Sorry.
2: No, <laughs> no, it's a good story. It's a really good
1: story. And I mean, yo, Mike Patton in the um vocal booth like he did. Too. I've, you know, uh y-
0: you might be surprised to learn this, but Mike Patton uh doesn't go to the studio. He records himself in his, I think, in his own home.
1: <laughs> so he wasn't. Robert, you know Robert Smith, or you think he's like really getting to Robert Smith?
0: Oh, ro- him and Robert Smith worked together for sure like that yo okay here's here's some real inside baseball that uh if you know me uh at all if you've ever followed anything that i do you know that leonard cohen is my fucking everything so the first day we go to record with him on that one single right i'm in there and uh he's showing me this microphone this fucking it's like this it just looks like it survived every war it's this vintage (laughs) as hell beast of a microphone it's great it's just like it's like, uh, you know, gun gray, just whatever. And he sets it up and he was like, every one of my records I've ever done has been on this microphone. I was like, oh shit. Wow. Was like, that's awesome. And he, was, and he was like, I was like, what's the story with it? So he goes, so all my early records were recorded at Indigo Ranch, which is this uh, now defunct studio in Malibu, California. And he was like, I started recording records there and this was the microphone that's owned by that studio. And it was originally Nick Cave's. Nick Cave did records on this, and he go, and then he goes, um, I mean, yeah, so many albums were done on this microphone. I mean, Leonard Cohen did the future on this microphone. Oh, Doesn't shit. know that I care, right? He's just and saying it.
3: He's noting this is important.
0: He's, just, he's like, yeah, I mean, like Leonard Cohen sang the future on it, and everyone in the room just saw me go white. I'm just like, what? He's like, <laughs> he's like yeah, and then the cool backstory is, uh, Ross gets hired to do the Cure record. They're going to record it in the UK, so, so Ross does it. You know, he flies out to England to do that record. This is at a time when record labels still had money, yep. so they said, "Ross, what do you need to do this record?" And Ross said, well, "That that <clears throat> uh, Indigo Ranch had closed, so yeah. they they were they were getting rid of their stuff or whatever." So Ross says, "You need to buy that microphone for me," <laughs> and the microphone was twenty thousand dollars, and he was like, "You wow. need to just buy it for me. Like, I need that microphone," and they were like, "Done." so he got the microphone uh because of that cure record bought for him and that's why he still has it holy shit so sick
2: that's
0: so sick
2: so uh for everybody at home your producer being in the vocal booth not normal your producer asking you about your dead mother not normal uh producer grabbing you and hugging you mid song (laughs) not normal uh (laughs) Yo, quick question
3: it, 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 for the, the, a- the other vocalists in here. What would your reaction be, Patrick and Tom, if, if any of those three things happened while you were in the vocal booth?
2: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
1: Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads...
2: probably talked about sam pura on this podcast uh if i haven't i'll I'll do so now uh he's uh more in the kind of like he made his bones on big pop punk records like uh uh uh, the story so far sort of stuff and and uh runs a studio uh out bay area i forget all that shit um he just did the spice record for people in our world you you might enjoy that um but he is the most intense human being I've ever met. And there's some, and he's, he's a bit like, uh, uh like Ross's, uh, uh, reputation. Like if you talk to the drummer for glass at that time, he's like, yeah, I had to go home. You, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> he, he, he tears, if you're not a capable player, he knows his name is going on the thing and he, he, he's not fucking with you. He'll just go, Hey, I can play this part or, or whatever you could call, uh, I can, we can call 20 capable people, but you're not playing this part. And, uh, Sam is to some people too much, right? Like there's people that have written blog, like long, they started, started websites to say, <laughs> I hate this guy. <laughs> right. And, and I personally love that energy. Like I, I love it. Like with self-defense has recorded, with him, but uh, we, we were only there for a day. We didn't, we didn't get the kind of the full thing. But I would, I have the opposite response to um, like, I, I've recorded, I don't know, 50 records or some shit. Like, give me the new experience. Like, uh, Taylor Young, self defense fucks with Taylor Young because Taylor Young will say, hey, could you, is, you change this part? He'll go, nope, it's lame. And like, <laughs> we love that. You know what I mean? Like, like, (laughs) yo, give, give us that. We've recorded uh, again, we've recorded like a hundred songs. I, I need a different energy. So, uh, I would like, I can't say my mom's still with me. So I, 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 if, if somebody got my face over something that's that sensitive, I don't know how I would respond to be totally frank with you. Sure. But, but I would love the idea of somebody challenging me. You know what I mean? Even if that's a little cringy, even if it's like cringy for somebody to go, um, Hey, uh, you, you know i'm going to ask you about every line it's a little cringy obviously but like just the idea of somebody pushing so hard i i would get a total kick out of
1: tom <laughs> um the the most precious Blood record that i sang on has a song about my father dying yeah and if the guy that recorded us who went on to become be the guitar playing guns and roses asked me where my dad was when i was in the vocal booth i would have fucking decked him yeah <laughs> straight up and i've known <laughs> that dude for 10 years prior and I would have lost my goddamn mind and not in a good way. <laughs> Which is all to say
3: that Jeremy, the way you responded is both awesome and amazing. And the fact that you've built a relationship yeah. here is like so cool. Like that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, I mean, I was, as I said, like, I mean, I was, I was also reacting just so much out of fear. Cause I just had such a bill. I mean, think about it. I've known, oh, I thought yeah. this guy was, mysterious and odd since I, since 1994 and now yes. i'm next to him and he's you know he's gray he's he's older he's seen a lot he's he's gone through a lot and i'm standing next to him and he's demanding something out of me emotionally and i'm just like i, I the whole experience just like really sent me into a weird spiral but yeah. uh but i'm thankful for it and i'm still thankful You've for today
1: Would you have been disappointed if you didn't get that experience? And he was just like, whatever you guys want to do, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think (laughs) so. Right? You kind of wanted that because you knew you probably had been aware that that was a thing from – from that first corn record on.
0: Like, yeah. yeah. And you know what's funny is I mean, there's you know, there's one of the famous ones is he like threw a potted plant at the drummer of Slipknot when he was playing. Like that's <laughs> that's like a pretty like it exploded up over his head and <laughs> fell all over him. Uh, but you know, there's other folklore stories that I heard from just, you know, being LA guy working around music people all my life and whatever. But like, you know, I got to over time every now and again be like, yo, Ross, is this a story? What happened with this story? and i found out that a lot of shit's telephone game a lot oh. of shit just is and he and and i really you know this isn't me advocating for the guy like i said i'm not his pr person but like i really really at the core of my being i know that every all the choices he's made is out of just like an intense need to have the realest shit that he could possibly get you know what i'm saying like it's it's fascinating it's like truly like uh, the The guy look, we're we're in twenty twenty. Record labels aren't paying producers what they used to. You know what I'm saying? Let's let's very true. Very true. It's a very real thing to talk about, right? So like the budget for our record is a fraction of what he would have been paid even ten years ago. Right? So the commitment that he took to sign on to do this record with a no time limit situation. The longest we've ever been in the studio was two and a half weeks. And that was for stage four. And it was yep. maybe pushed three weeks when it came to mixing, but those days kind of don't really count. Um, but this record was open-ended. He was like, we're going to do this thing until it's fucking done. And he was, <laughs> he was renting the studio. So he was having to pay to rent the studio. We've never done a record to tape and he yeah. did it to tape. Oh, wow. He out of his budget, uh, paid Steve Evitz to mix it. Wow. Which is sick. Uh, and got Andy uh or sorry Alan uh Dutchess, Duchess yep, to, Dutchess, to yeah. master it all out of his budget and wow. the budget like i said not not that much for 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 what we were doing here so uh i remember asking him i was like i was like i, I just don't want to make i want to make sure you're not being taken advantage of and he was like i have lived such a life of of amazing things happening and doing records that changed my life forever i don't give a fuck I'm good. I just want to make cool shit. That's all I care about. I just want to make cool shit and real shit. So it doesn't matter to me. I'm just here to, he's like, I'm here to just put out the most real thing possible. So that's what we're going to do. It's like unreal. So like we, I mean, we were, it's insane to think about, but from when we started recording until we were like, gave epitaph, I guess the final masters three months. Wow. Whoa. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I mean, there were situations like you know the shutdown happened while we were in the studio, but we still had a few things left to track. I would come in by myself to do certain things. Uh, this sounds cruel, but it—I understand that it was necessary. For instance, my uh, there's a line on a song called "Limelight,"s the first single on the record, so you could listen to it if you want. Uh, where I say, uh, "We've poured ourselves in these sweet white dying dogs," right? So. Um, the line was originally, We've poured ourselves in these white, sw- uh, or we pour ourselves in these sweet white dying dogs. Uh, my last dog died after we recorded that song. Ugh. He then calls me and is like, You want to re sing that? You want to re sing that verse?
3: <laughs> right. It's like,
0: it's like, It's the most raw shit you could ask, but let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so so I went in and, and the lyrics, then the lyric changed to being past tense, you know? Right. So. It's just I, I get it, and I know I know where he's at. There's also a song towards the it's the last song on the record, which is a very, 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 very quite personal song about uh, my relationship with some people that that are in our very inner circle, and uh, they were present as I sang the song in the vocal booth, for instance. Right. So, shit like that is <laughs> it, you know again all all part of it uh here's a fun story that is a little lighter uh our boy justice Tripp sings on the record oh um, nice he's on track one and he came in the studio and i was just right try- you know I, i'm sure everyone here knows justice uh a bit and i was just talking he was like yo man i'm so fucking intimidated by this guy <laughs> like this man's <laughs> gonna scare the shit out of me he was like he's like uh he's like yo but i fuck with that frizzling biscuit record like all this sort of stuff <laughs> and, and uh and, um, and you know, he was like super nervous about it. And, uh, and we went in there and man, I just lo- I, like the energy between justice and Ross was so palpable. It was the, it was beautiful. Like the, they were just loving each other so much. And then, you know, Ross or justice, like, yo, do you think he's going to get all like crazy with me? And like, you know, try to get me to uh, be all s- in your head or, or whatever. And I was like, I don't know. And then, so <laughs> once, once it became just Justin and I stood next to each other while we did this part, like he sings a backup thing with me. And uh and there's footage of it. I'm sure it'll come out at some point. But like Ross is talking to, to Justice in a very, very like intense way where he's like, uh it's it's a love song. And he's like, he's like, I want you to think about, you know, like the deepest love that you ever had because you're getting to sing on a song that is about the deepest love and blah blah blah. And like I'm just looking at Justice and he's just like like laser focused on each other's eyes. And I was like, This is the coolest shit ever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know, yeah. Here's the next question. Can you yeah. imagine, Ross, having those conversations with Fred Durst being like, what does this lyric mean? <laughs> you know, like, what is wh- the? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no,
0: no. If you, I mean, yeah, that's an obvious one, but here's a bigger one. Have any of you men ever listened to or read the lyrics to the Blood Brothers? No.
2: I've done my best to avoid it up to this point in my life.
0: <laughs> I'm going to give you an example of Please. the opening line to a song on that record. you right, ready? bulimic rainbows vomit
1: what <sighs> yeah okay listen, listen. Well, even the, the big the big at the driving record the lyrics are fucking bonkers they make no yeah absolutely
0: uh, there's a line on the Blood Brothers record where he says i split my grandmother like a rotten papaya like it's 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 like it sounds like someone just did did you know uh, uh, psychotropes and and gave him a notepad so I'm curious how that was, you know, I've, I've always been a little bit curious about that. Like, you know, how much did you dig with them? You know, but those things might mean other things to the members of the band. So who knows, you know?
2: Or, or they're really good bullshitters.
0: Or they're really good bullshitters. That's true. That's also true. But who, who knows? At, at some
3: point, we really need to do a deep dive on... Tens people who are at 10 all the time. I'm not talking about really beautiful people, but we could talk about them too. But I'm talking about the people whose intensity is at a 10 all the time. I typically get on really well with them, but there's a bit of a dance and a navigation you need to make essentially in like your first encounter. Um, tens can 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 oscillate a little bit, but it really is, uh, it's there's the I think being involved in punk and hardcore and music in general you come in c- contact with a lot more 10 level intensity people than most. But uh yeah, it's just
1: fascinating when you end up and I mean Would you say um, Go ahead. Would you say Gavin's a 10?
2: Yeah, Gavin Gavin's at least a 9.5. Yeah,
1: yeah,
3: he he he, he was a 10. Um you know, I know a good amount of 10s out in California. Um, it's, I think it's
0: yeah, it just, just don't just don't misinterpret it with cocaine. No, no, no. Could...
3: <laughs> no, that's that's um that's uh, uh a substance enhanced tanning. Um yeah, yeah. We don't that, like substance. That's when you go artificial tanning. tanning. Um yeah, there's
2: <laughs> there's an asterisk. Yeah.
3: Um, artificial but, tanning is great. But that's yeah, I, I there, there's a conversation there, but like while we're while we're kinda in the recording mode, I actually think it's been beautiful because there's a lot of bands who've been trying to do recording as we're going along here. Jeremy, what is your biggest um, advice for, you know, because this is, how many LPs have you now done?
0: This is our fifth record.
3: Fifth. Wow. Right. Yeah. What do you have as far as recommendation, just first in general for people who are new to going into the recording process, and then second for someone who's doing their first LP?
0: Um... I think the I think the the most key thing is at least the level of preparedness that you aren't going to like crumble while you're in the studio. Now, I know there's situations where someone might have like an anxiety issue and that's that's you got to pass on that one, but but like if I If you're going into the studio with with uh, with like half written songs now, this is against Patrick's entire shit because he doesn't write lyrics until he's in the studio. And I respect you for that. And I'm also think you're insane. Um, But but, you know, I I think that I think that going in because for a lot of us, especially with punk and hardcore, like time is money. You know what I'm saying? Like Pat's at least able to write on the spot and get get his shit done. Whereas if you're going in and you don't have lyric concepts or like you're unable to write on the spot, you're going to be in a a tough position because, you know, recording isn't cheap. And uh, and so I think as long as you're looking out for yourselves financially and you're confident in the songs that you've written and you're not reliant upon someone else to make it better. Like you have to go in with a confidence knowing like I know the song is good, but if there's a suggestion that comes my way that's interesting, be open to it. You know, I, I think that's that's a big thing. We didn't get um, advice when it came to songwriting probably until our third record, which was the first one we did with Brad. We did our second one with um, this guy, Ed Rose. We went out, we drove out to, uh, it's funny, we signed to Death Wish and we did the polar opposite of what everyone thought we would do. Everyone was like, oh, they signed to Death Wish. So Jake's going to do their work, their art, and they're going to record with Kurt. Right. But we were like, nah. Nick, our guitar player, is going to continue to do our art. And we're going to record with this guy, Ed Rose, who did, like, the Coalesce and the Casket Lottery and Get Up Kids records. Yep. yep. Um, so that's what we did. And, and he was just, we were there, I think that recording session was five days. We drove out to Kansas, only had five days to do it. We did it live because we were on a budget. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of money to be thrown around. We were a new band on Deathwish, And, you know, again, budgets aren't big. So, uh, you know, we did that for, for a very small amount of money and i remember we had to ask Deathwish for gas money to get us back to california um and uh but then once we went in with brad wood for for a survive by it was like that was our first time we were intimidated because we were with a guy who did the fucking sunny day record he did the first couple sunny day real estate records and he did uh the Liz Fay records and he did uh the smashing pumpkins and all this stuff so like we're like okay we need to listen to this guy and he came to us with, like, you know, a, a, a gentle touch, but um, we were open to it. Where I think if, when our band started, I think a lot of us have those punk rock attitudes. Um, I'm, sh- I'm sure, Tom, you've, you have felt this, Pat, you felt this too, where you're like, I don't fucking need to listen to this guy. Like, I know these songs are sick. Or, like, or like, yeah, I don't need to get advice from this guy. Like, he's not in our band. You know, like, I, I feel like when you're young, you sort of have that in the back of your mind as, like, some sort of weird angst. But, um... I think as time went on, I really, I really took to it and I, and I appreciate it. And even though some ideas might not work, I think just hearing that outside opinion is, is incredibly helpful. So, uh, the short, uh, that was a long ramble, but the, the short, I would say is go in prepared, confident enough with the songs that you're bringing, um, and be aware of, uh, time is money. And also, uh, don't dismiss ideas outright. Hmm.
3: That's great. Interesting. That's great. Um, guys, we've got a little time here. Uh, do you want to jump into some some random mailbag questions? We have some that are burning up the charts. Hit us. All right. Charles asks, and, and Jeremy, you're, you're a part of the crew. You're going to help us with all these. Love it. Uh, do, do, do. Hey, Axe to Grind, questions about songwriting. Recently began my second attempt at writing hardcore. First attempt with th- was three years ago. It was bad. He sent over a link. I didn't listen yet. Can't verify if it was bad or not. Let's just say I wrote decent guitar riffs, but very bad songs. Now I'm training myself to be more aware of song structure, consistency of musical themes, subgenres across tracks, production tone choices across songs. Obvious- uh, obviously, obviously <laughs> variation is the spice of life, and hardcore is notorious for being a one-trick pony. Even competent players tend to pigeonhole themselves to one sound and can't get away from it. With this in mind, where's the line? I've heard great artists make quote-unquote riff soup with no real transitions or weak through lines of musical sounds through the same track. Conversely, I've heard 10 of the same song in a row on a pretty good album written by a talented band. I'm thinking of Hope HopeCon in absence of mind as examples of artists a little older and a little more recent who seem to pull different heavy sub-genres together with varying degrees of success. I don't think I need to name any artists that fit the opposite category. What are your thoughts? Who are other heavy artists who successfully pull together other genres within the same release while still feeling consistent? Charlie. Thanks, Charlie.
0: First off, I'm impressed that he's able to write songs and then uh, agree that they're bad.
2: <laughs> yeah no, not everybody has that ability That's right. <laughs>
1: Like these are the greatest things I've ever done like people are either of the mindset it's like these are fucking awesome no matter what they are or these are trash no matter what they are there's no real you're not able to discern your own work almost
0: yeah right? and when it comes to his, his actual question it's tough because I, I mean it's not t- there's, there's going to be a, a plethora of answers here but um, when it comes to hardcore I'm I wondering if you guys agree with me. Where, like, unfortunately, when a, I feel like the the tra- trajectory has always been, when a hardcore band goes big, they lean new, they lean new metal. You know, like mm-hmm. it, it it just because that's the that's the only way to break the ceiling to go radio. You know, it's mm-hmm. an unfortunate thing, but uh, but it, it's it seems to always be the the move. But I'm trying to think of bands that didn't go new but still introduced a bunch of, I mean, turnstile they have, you know, they're little different. They're they, little different.
2: Read,
1: the record.
0: Yeah. I mean like the moon song is quite different than like, you know, track two. Well, right. So, so, so if you're going heavy, uh, the
3: creativity quote unquote, typically you're trying, you know, if, if it's in the more modern, let's say the parlance of the time, most of us have been into hardcore. You're right. It's going more, more new metal, uh, but there have been bands who try to go the more poppy route or more, you know, uh, yeah, I guess almost transitioning from pop hardcore to pop punk, you know, Um, and with varying levels of success, you know, I don't like, for example, saves the day started at a place where they were kind of on the fringe. Like, I, I think they were pretty clearly not like a hardcore, hardcore band and, but they went further, but a band like Lifetime's interesting going way back where they had this Melodic, but clearly like mid tempo, a little ch- not chuggy but churny hardcore. Of that, was very new age records. Mm-hmm. And when they really take off, is when they went poppy. Now, do I think it was like this could have been on the radio in 1997? No, but boy, they uh, they certainly uh, prognosticated a lot of music that that sort of you know was influenced by them.
0: Sure, yeah. Um. PK. Again, not not necessarily, oh, you, you know, you, you get into the, the genre fights, but that first Me Without You record oh. is, is pretty aggressive, and yeah. it kind of goes in a lot of ways, and then the directions that band went were, were really interesting and all over the place. And-
3: Absolutely. Do you think they, when they started experimenting, well, one, I don't think it was for growth, right? It wasn't, or not to say growth, growth musically, sure, but, like, I don't know if they wrote some, made some of the choices they made in an attempt to
0: be more, to have more mass appeal, if that makes sense. So I interviewed Aaron on a podcast that never came out years ago. I bought all the stuff and was like, I'm going to do a podcast. And then I (laughs) recorded six episodes. One was actually with Pat. And then I said, edit them. Fuck that. And and they just sat on my hard drive. So I thankfully have one that I'm, I can hand off to someone else now and and they're doing a a great job. But, um, I interviewed Aaron and and I this kind of came up with him. And and also just shout out Brad Wood, the guy who did stage four and is survived by. He did uh Catch for Us the Foxes and Brother Sister, arguably the most popular Me Without You records, which yes. followed that first one. Yes. So I have a little bit of insight from there too. But like they when interviewing Aaron, I went into it with a confidence asking him this question where I, I said, you know what happened with the second record in terms of of influences like were you did all of you kind of like get into a different kind of like indie rock like did you just did you all kind of like fall in love with new bands that kind of led you towards this new direction and i had like sort of romanticized the whole thing in my head because there's such a drastic change in a very short amount of time between those two records and i was completely wrong he was just like no we just started writing songs and that's what they sounded like i was like oh Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right well I guess I was—I comp- really, really over overshot the thinking on this one. Um, <laughs> it's interesting how sometimes, like, it's not that it's not that wild. Sometimes it's just someone starts writing better riffs, you know. Someone it, there's the ideas kind of grow a little bit. It's it, it's interesting, you know.
1: Well, there's some wild story, and Jeremy may know Pat may I, you guys may know, but like there was not that they're hardcore, but they're adjacent uh, Mastodon. Mm. They sort of changed because. Yeah. The main singer was, got really, really badly injured in a fight. Whoa. And he couldn't really scream when they were writing the record. Hmm. So the next record was a lot more melodic because he literally, he was like the screaming guy in the band and he couldn't do it. So then the drummer and the bass player sang a little bit more and they were, had the more like, they, they, those two dudes could actually sing. Interesting. Do you ever hear that story like there's no. a wild story. he that, that, I, I mean this is like widely known so I'm not telling like any fine the right. he fought the drummer from System of Down got his ass kicked <laughs> mm, fuck. Mm. and like uh, fell and, like cracked his skull on like the sidewalk and he was in like really 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 bad shape the big guy with the head tattoos and shit Yeah he, yeah he got pretty bad it was like outside the Grammys or something crazy Holy shit but wow It was like the like Jiza and and um, and the dude from the the Trump guy from System of a Down, yeah, and kind of got they, the dude was drunk and was, they were being fucking belligerent and back and forth, and and System of a Down dude lit him up and he got like pretty badly injured, and apparently that ap- impacted the next record because you know they just couldn't do what they were doing before because he literally couldn't scream because it hurt.
2: Imagine if you whoop a dude's ass and then he goes to like a gold record because you uh, <laughs> damaged him so bad.
1: That's pretty good. That's pretty I got good. You. I need some help with
2: that. Yeah. 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 And me. And meanwhile, the uh, dude from system of a down though, I'm sure he's doing fine. uh oh, can't, can't get his uh, singer into a studio. Uh, to go make some real money, uh. So that it'd be it might be a little frustrating if I cracked somebody's head open and then they were doing better.
0: It's uh. Also, all of those, all the members of System of a Down definitely live within about a mile and a half from where I live right now. I, mm-hmm. I sometimes see the guitar player at Vons at like two in the morning in sweatpants, uh, <laughs> buying orange juice. It's sick.
2: <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> that is sick. <laughs> uh,
3: PK and Tom as our resident heavy experts here. Though, though, I have to admit, I don't think Jeremy's a slouch here. Um. Uh, Give us examples of heavier bands or bands who you think do a really good job pulling together kind of different influences and making a really cogent product.
2: Um, th- this is not an easy question uh, because there's bands that have, that have, uh, I got an answer. You got one? Cause I, I'm I thinking of, band-
1: I realize I muted myself because I never want to make sounds when I'm not talking.
2: <laughs> okay. I
1: was going uh, look- up the Mastodon story to make sure that I was not telling because I don't Bob's going to get 14 emails next week about like actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was RZA, not it was it actually it was RZA. it wasn't Jizza. so all right I already corrected myself um, I think that especially this last Harms way record oh good call I think they did a cool job with the electronica and the, the heavy stuff I think they did like they did um, their kind of version of street cleaner Mm. I thought that was... Oh, cool. interesting. Yeah, okay. A little <laughs> godflat going on.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to... I'm uh, That's a good call. I'm trying to think of uh, bands that have successfully...
0: That's the uh, word. That's the word right there. It's
2: Yeah, successfully, it, it's, sure. It's, it's
0: like sure, a lot of band. I mean, it, I'm just thinking, you know, off the top of my head, I was thinking of bands that explored genres. Like Kandiria was jazz, hip-hop, and heavy hardcore. Yep. So... yeah, Very true, very true. But, you know, were they like, topping the charts no but they were putting out you know very experimental heavy records but yeah, i don't know what's they, it? i don't know if this was this question successfully or was this question just bands that did it i think bands did it well
3: you know what i okay. mean so you know it's 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 that's the hard part because i let's define successful as we think that what they
2: they pulled it off yeah
3: what it came out was like hey this is good right and i mean that's a, a harm's way is a good yeah. answer um for a most more recent example. I'm trying to think of other ones and, and even not even super heavy because he's talking about hope Con, who, who, you sure. know, they definitely pull in a lot of different influences. Um, what about Zayo? Uh,
2: I wondered if you were going to find a way to work this band that we both like into a thing. Uh, it, <laughs> it, 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 here's the problem, Jeremy, is that, uh, it's really debatable if Zayo pulled it off. Sure. Uh, what's the last good Zayo record in your opinion? Uh, Straight up. I'm
0: going to look, I think their their most recent material is actually really good. Um, I don't know how much you gave it a shot. It's, it feels genuine to the the era that we liked, but, um, I, I would say the last record that connected with me was self-titled. Yeah. Like electronic drums a long time ago. <laughs> a long oh no, no doubt. I mean and 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 I'll I know there's an Albini record in there and, and which
2: isn't Yo, know, the Albini record, sorry for everybody, this is like z- yeah. really inside inside Zaoball. Um it, it, it's uh the Albini record is a thing that I want to like so much because I respect the fact that they attempted this thing that like bands in their style never attempt really. Uh but the songs just don't connect.
0: Yeah, I can't um, say that I, I've listened to those records in, in some time. I, I should revisit them on the way to band practice or something like that.
2: I, mean, I remember Funeral for God when it came out, but I, I think... People really like it. It sucks. Listen, uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's a band uh, like Earth Crisis where record to record in their late career, they could have like fucking four real ass beater, great fucking songs. And then the next record could just have the worst... Convergence of influences that you've ever heard, hmm. um, and, and uh, I don't know. I, I you know what? But I'm I'll, for to answer this question. I'll say Earth Crisis. I got Earth Crisis on the mind because I got uh, th- that uh, an attitude exhumed uh, zine in the mail the other day. Um, everybody should check that out. It's got some cool archival stuff in it. Uh, but is Earth Crisis successful album to album? Mm, but have they brought in a lot of like, okay. So they and were was
1: different from, Bleed, from, from destroy the machines.
2: For sure. Like, so let, let's see what they've explored. Uh, it, you could say that there was a lot of Clevo. You could say there was a lot of New York. Uh, you could say on any given album, uh, then they started moving into like a machine head sort of thing that they wanted to do, uh, debates on whether that worked. Um, and then, uh, later they tried for like, almost biohazard for a record. And then, uh, then they honestly tried some really fucking strange, Jeremy, I know you at least give these records a shot. Did you, it's one of the late ones like salvation of the Innocents, or the one before that, that brings in like almost, um, uh, uh what do you call that type of metal that, that, uh, it's like opera metal almost. It sucks. Um, like it, what's that like power metal, not power metal quite, but, but like, that a new genre I've street. just
3: made up called opera metal, which I no. Appreciate. What is that?
2: What what, what <laughs> anyway. is like? What is like Nightwish? You know what I mean? Like whatever that sort of shit is. Like there, there's those influences on it, but it's a band that, you know, like I think that there's moments where they go from uh, Metallica rip to crusty, uh, and then there's some Mad Madball in there. So I, 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 would go with something like that over Symphonic some of their. Metal. Say that again. Symphonic metal. Oh,
1: symphonic metal. <laughs> That's what I meant to hat. say. If you want an interesting watch, um, the dude from Antidote NYHC yeah, does a, um, it does like a th- three times a week video thing. It's really pretty awful. Um, if you want to see like like Rat Bones show Dirty Toys, you can watch it. There. I do. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I do. do too, yeah. Oh, perfect. Um, you but caught Carl me at Wood- Rat Bones showing <laughs> Dirty Toys. Yeah, it's like yeah, Carl. Earth Crisis was on today, and it's amazing, because the dude that runs it is 97 and stopped listening to hardcore in, like, 1984. (laughs) (laughs) He's kind of like, you know, "Uh, we're now Carl Bickner from Earth Crisis, and, like, he's explaining who Busky is, and he's like, Busky from... And he named, like, one band, and Carl's like, and The Promise, and another... Like, he had to, like, fill in the fucking resume or whatever, but... The whole story was that like Carl didn't have the setup to be able to do this interview at home. He had to go to his guitarist's house for the internet. Yeah, good for
2: him. Yeah, he was Let actually it.
1: quite good on the interview. Like he was much, much kind of more personable than I was expecting him to be, especially being led through an interview by a guy who doesn't totally know what the hell's going on. <laughs>
2: Is it? It's like the Joe Biden of hardcore. Is that what you're saying?
1: Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, he just is like, so the dude that does, that was an antidote, was like a Boston, like he went to, he was from New York, went to school in Boston. So he knows like the SSD, he was there for the S- SSD and like DYS stuff. Then he joined Antidote. They put out that like the cock rock record. Then he became like a manager and like a video producer. So like he like managed like biohazard and like. And he managed, like, I don't know, like, Fury Fire, like, all these bands that he thought was go- like, that were going to break big. And he filmed a bunch of videos. Like, he did, like, all the typo negative videos and stuff. But, like, there's a time, like, that is, like, w- an incredible blind spot. Like, he could tell you about, like, a D-level, like, a D-level at New York hardcore band that plays, you know, A7 now. But, like, he was having, like, he had Justin and somebody else on and, like, literally did not know a thing about justin's bands like not one. like so it says you hear from brooklyn like like nothing <laughs> <laughs> yo so, i actually yeah. thought of a band
0: that, yes. w- that was right in front of us this whole time yo, cave man. in mm.
2: i thought you were gonna say that but i don't necessarily agree you don't what, you agree? You, well, oh you mean across their career sorry yes okay yeah. sure
3: okay across yeah, I, their career and i think they successfully I, i'm wondering like did they ever take two different types of sounds and really merge them do you think yes yes which
0: which was the the record uh following the major label record that 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 it was a one and done it was the perfect pitch black record which followed antenna so perfect pitch black is the mix of jupiter antenna and until your heart stops
2: that's exactly right. And it half sucks. And I hate to say that, but I did my dive on it and I really, I was so hopeful for it because it, it on the surface is exactly what I want from Cave In. And I, I, that's another case of where I don't think the songs are there. I, a lot of people disagree with that. People There's like some that really one.
0: good songs on that record, but I, it's been a minute since I've like listened to like track eight, nine and 10 or something, you know, yeah. but like the, but the, the first half is, is quite good.
3: Okay, guys, that was a good question. Let's do one more because I, I we we got Jeremy has band practice and we all yeah like,
0: I gotta I actually got to run in just a sec. I yeah, let's to, do this one. Do let's do
3: okay. let's do this really quick. Yeah. Uh, no,
0: that's not going to be the question.
1: Also, Bob, while you're looking for a question, uh, Jeremy, do you want to plug your podcast? Yes. Yeah,
0: sure. It's called the first ever podcast. I'm. Uh, it's a, a very straightforward kind of concept. It's. Uh, it's. It's. I'm interviewing different artists of all different kinds, whether it's uh, a musician or an actor or a fucking painter or a tattoo artist or a cartoonist. I interviewed a a cartoonist for the New Yorker the other week, Um, like uh, anything. And just basically the sort of just exploring those humble beginnings of, uh, of anyone's career uh, that, you know, I, I feel like it's sometimes nice to, to be, to, to talk about, because I think in this kind of, Age we 're in right now, it, it might feel like things happen quicker for people than it really does, you know um, so i'm actually tomorrow I am interviewing the tattoo artist uh, Dan Smith um, oh
3: awesome. Very cool yeah I,
0: and uh and today's episode that went up was uh with uh, Alex Pardee, who's a awesome. Uh, illustrator artist uh d- designed monsters on a Zack Snyder movie and um, designed like a couple album covers for like The Used and Aesop Rock and Cage and people like that um yeah, that's awesome. yeah so it's it's but it's been a lot of fun. I do it weekly. New episodes come out on on Wednesdays. I'm Love on it. episode 12 next week. Yo,
3: congratulations cool. on that. It's not yeah. easy to get through the first 10. So you're killing it.
0: Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. The and first nice ever, And, and I'm on. so
3: happy because we talked, we had a conversation about this. I don't know how long ago.
0: Yes. Like last year yeah. at least. And you were very helpful and very insightful. Oh, and I really you. appreciate it, Bob.
3: No, anytime, you know this. And, uh, yeah, this has the extra grind stamp of approval. We, we're very excited and anything we can do to help. All right. Then to be very fast here. Yeah. Our, our old friend, Mike Lawson has to, some yes. quick questions Ask. here. Um, uh, no subject, because he's given up on clever subjects. Fuck it. One of y'all recently briefly mentioned the Northside Kings da- slash Danzig Punch. Tell young people about that. Who wants
1: to take that? That was me. Go for it. Give us give us the elevator pitch. Okay, Northside Kings, uh, hardcore band from Arizona, um, singer Danny very large human being um they were playing a show with danzig somewhere that they had to drive from pretty, pretty far away danzig was like you know having saying like i have to be on by 10 o'clock whatever the story was they were going to let Northside kings play but after danzig which is a fucking Ooh, you know, yeah no don't straight. do that it's insane yeah. so um danny's having a conversation you know very i mean he's literally a foot and a half taller than danzig And it's just like, hey, you know, like, can we just play before, like, you know, we drove a really long way and blah, blah, blah. And, like, Danzig has a bunch of people, like, around him. So he was emboldened and he kind of, and he goes, fuck you, motherfucker. And he pushes Danny, which literally does nothing. (laughs) Yeah, it (laughs) It was not not
3: great.
1: One shots the dude fucking lays him out lays him out yeah
3: it wasn't a great decision by Danzig, who uh is getting on the older side um yeah it's on youtube you can find it okay is mr bean's success the most impressive run for a talentless
2: hack ever no you're talking to you're talking to me my
1: dude (laughs) you beat me to it Uh, um yeah i don't get mr bean but sure i would i would i would agree i don't i don't understand how he's been this famous for jeremy do you have any feelings on mr bean I don't have any feelings on
0: Mr. Bean, but uh, I feel like the the American version could be like Ernest. Oh, yeah.
3: Ernest was R.I.P.
0: <laughs> R.I.P., yeah. yeah.
3: When he went fishing. Yeah. Mm. What's Kendrick Lamar up to? Probably writing a third great record.
2: Yeah, probably yeah. waiting to just drop a record that he's already written on us sometime. It's true.
1: <laughs> I mean, Jeremy can go find him. He lives near him. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'll go see what's
0: up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> go see what's up. Maybe he's in a bonds and somewhere over yeah. there. <laughs> jeremy start us off
3: on this one do you believe in ghosts
0: i just stayed in a haunted hotel in uh, anchorage uh oh, nice. the other the other week and uh we learned about that as we were about to go to bed mm-hmm. um with my uh with my now fiance as of that trip Congrats, um, by the way thank you and uh and and yeah she's she's petrified of ghosts so um I, I got it kind of excited and um nothing happened so uh as of last week i'm gonna my official stamp no
1: oh wow <laughs> was <laughs> it advertised? As a haunted hotel, or did you just happen to find out when you got there?
0: Uh, I have one friend who lives in Alaska, and he said, "Where are you staying tonight?" And I said, "I'm staying at the uh, historic Anchorage Hotel." And he goes, "Oh, that place is haunted!" And then I googled it, and hella, hella articles about it. <laughs> and, and it was like, it was like, yeah, room two fifteen and room t- two seventeen, crazy haunted, and we were in two thirteen. Oh, and, um, and then, uh, and then they they talk about how the um, there's like a a book up at the counter where employees and guests uh, if they have an experience they log it so there's like a log of all the experiences and um someone took a screenshot of the log on some article some fucking thing i found and um in 213 someone described a uh, very loud banging on from the inside of the door oh so yeah i i relayed that story the next morning after we had left the place <laughs> but but uh but yeah um I like the concept of ghosts. I think sure. it's cool. I, I would like for them to exist, but um, I have yet to see any sort of proof. And that's not exactly me asking for them to come hang out with me. But um, I like the concept, I guess.
3: Tom, yes or no? Do you believe in ghosts?
1: Um, I don't, but I tend to agree with Jeremy. Like it'd be cool if they did, but I don't think they do.
2: Yeah. Patrick. Yeah, nothing surprises me. Bring it on. Uh,
1: my current stance. Right. My current stance is I believe in everything.
2: Um, yeah, exactly.
3: What's the difference between an asteroid and a meteor?
2: Um, it's a good question. There is there one?
0: I'm going to assume it has to do with size. Oh
3: yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, no clue. Tom, anything?
1: Um, Who's
0: quicker to Google? Yeah. And act like we know.
1: <laughs> oh, I haven't. You want the actual answer? Because I did sure, Google it. Sure, do it. I cheated, sorry. Um, an, atm- an asteroid is a small rocky object that orbits the sun. A meteor is what happens when a small piece of an asteroid or comet, called a meteoroid, burns up upon entering Earth's atmosphere. True. That's oh, oh. so the after thing. Okay. Uh, so I think, yeah, Jeremy was close.
3: Uh, did you know there's a giant storm on Jupiter that is three times the size of Earth and believed to have been going on for over 300 years? I did, did not. not. did not. No. Is there a more dumb holiday than Groundhog Day?
1: Yeah, uh, sure. I'm sure
2: there is, but not widely celebrated. Yeah, definitely.
1: Uh, it's like Cupcake Day and shit. Like you know, like yeah. someone gets a calendar and every day's a holiday. Yeah, or I th- I we're
0: not even given the most punk answers to that. So yeah, like, yeah. yeah
1: we didn't say Fourth of July <laughs> or anything. Like,
3: <laughs> like to be honest, Groundhog Day just needs better PR to be like vying with Valentine's Day for me.
0: Yeah. Hey, Groundhog's Day at least has a sick ass movie.
1: Incredible movie. That's true. Yeah. Have you ever mm-hmm. driven a motorcycle?
2: refuse Yeah, I don't think I have.
1: I've been on them. I haven't
3: driven one. Uh, yeah, never on the
0: back as a kid. No.
3: Never driven, yeah, never driven one uh when I was 4 living in Denver, I saw a horrific motorcycle accident uh that happened right in front of me. And so that was kind of crazy. But I have ridden uh mopeds and gotten hurt very badly going twenty. What a ruckus. Where do you where does that fall in the continuum? <sighs> um above Above a moped and a scooter, uh, it can go faster. It's sort of, you know, it's like it's not quite a street a bike, street. but it's it's like right. uh, it's not far off. It's yeah, it's it's somewhere between. It's a it's a street bike golf cart. How about that? <laughs> Love it. Um, <laughs> last question, guys. Uh, I'm, How I'm did Jethro how did Jethro Tull become popular? Imagine an alien came to earth in 1971 and asked your dad what his favorite rock and roll band was. and your dad explained Jethro Tull, a folk slash prog rock band fronted by an extra from the movie Willow that heavily features a fucking flute was his favorite band with the alien chill or destroy earth. So uh, everybody can choose the answer of why, how did Jethro Tull become popular or if the alien would chill or destroy earth?
2: Listen, blood brothers have more than one record. I, anybody can do anything. You know what I mean? It's whatever. The world is your oyster. I'm, I'm shots. Uh, Jethro Tull. Uh, cool by me.
3: I own Aqualong.
2: Yeah, of course. <laughs>
0: also a
1: band that probably uh, Patrick checked out at the library.
2: No question. (laughs) That's about right.
1: (laughs) I mean, they did win a metal Grammy one year. Yeah, that's That's I mean, that's the
0: talking point. I was about to be like, well, you know, everyone is right to be mad at them.
1: If the alien
3: had this explained to them, Tom and Jeremy, you guys decide this. Will the alien chill and be like, well, that's cool. Or is he going, nah, nuke nuke this place?
1: You say nuke this place? And then Metallica wins a Grammy instead. I'm with Tom. Wow! All right, everybody. Uh, thanks
3: for joining us, Jeremy. You are coming back soon. Uh, we're putting on the schedule.
0: Consider me a uh, consider me an honorary fourth member. This is a lot of fun. I've I, I adore all of you. This is blast. Thank you for having me. Always.
2: Thank, Thank you, you, Jeremy. Appreciate thanks, everyone. Bye, bye. Later, everybody.